This is Learn It From An 80s Song. I am your coach, Patricia Freiberg. This is I Love the 80s meets the healing of storytelling and the positive impact of music. Inspiring guests share their powerful stories, yielding incredible strengths. Through both story and music, this podcast will elevate your mood, providing you with a positive outlook. It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. This is the second season of Learned It From An 80s Song, and we have a very special guest for you to kick it off. Please welcome Rich Baker. Rich is a performer. He's toured the country many times with the Second City, Comedy Sports Chicago, Mission Improbable, and Rolling in the Riches. Rich is also a creator. He is the writer for Epic Rap Battles of History. He's the author of Improv Made Easier and the director and co-creator of Third Shift on Amazon Prime. He is a teacher. Since 2006, Rich has taught improv, sketch, and stand-up to thousands of students all over the world. He currently leads seven weekly improv practice groups and sporadic one-day workshops as Rich Baker Coaching. Rich, it is so great to have you here today. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm honored. Thanks for having me. Well, I need to tell you a little bit about how I know Rich, which is from Second City. He was uh, my teacher and is currently my teacher in his improv uh, class on Monday. If anybody has ever done an international move, there are a lot of challenges with it. I'm not going to go into too much detail on that today, but um, one of the challenges is feeling connected. So I just want to share my gratitude for you um, for having these classes and allowing me to be in the class because it really, truly made a difference by enrolling in the course and, and getting to do it. I feel more connected. Thank you. And please, guys, if you've ever wanted to take an improv class, do it. Don't wait. Uh, run and uh, take a class. <laughs> well, the class is better because you're in it. So thank you. Well, that's nice. Thank you. So this is the part of the show where we have the big reveal as to what song we're going to be talking about today. So can I get a drum roll, please? Yes. Rich, what is the song that best resonates with the story you're going to tell us today? Uh, Twisted Sisters, we're not going to take it. Yes, and all of us need to just headbang a little bit and, uh, you know, because it's just, it's all 80s. And right before we started, I just had mentioned, I'm like, wait, where, finally, there's a metal hairband, finally. (laughs) You know, I had to wait to season two, which, by the way, Rich is kicking off this season two of the 80s song. What better way with we're not going to take it? Yes. <laughs> we're going to start off strong. So uh, what a great song. So let's go over the band members. We got yeah. Dee Snyder. We got Eddie Fingers 
Ojeda. <laughs> JJ French. Mark the Animal. And then we have AJ. This was 1984 was when this song came out. It was actually originally on the B side of, uh, uh, you know, of um, actually it was You Can't Stop Rock and Roll was the B side. But then I know B side. This is not a B side song. (laughs) But then it was released on the on their next um, on their album, which I stay hungry. Yes, exactly. Stay hungry. Exactly. Thank you. And uh, it was number 21. It hit on the Billboard charts. And then also, um, 40, it's number 47 of the top 100 greatest 80s songs. And I think we can all agree it, is, it needs to be on that top, top list. So Absolutely. I would venture to guess the video is, I mean, it's one of my favorite vi- music videos, too. So interesting. And that was right, right, you know, MTV was just hot, you know, and uh, absolutely. But let's talk about this because you bring up a great point. So fly, they're flying high in 1985, and this is from Rolling Stone magazine. And this is when a group came out called the Parents Music Resource Center, and they singled them out uh, yeah. with this song. And so what had happened was uh, Tipper Gore, you know, she came out and, and uh, was very strongly about censorship. And this became, went to Congress. This is the time where Dee Snyder really got to show that he's an artist. It was Dee's chance to really get up and talk about censorship. And then along with him was Frank Zappa and John Denver. <laughs> yeah. What a trio. <laughs> uh, right. It was so interesting. As it turns out, you know, during this time was when we saw the parent advisory stickers going on. Uh, so very interesting uh, topic and a uh, very interesting song that really represented that time. Yeah. It's so weird to think about it, you know, 35, 40 years later, that how censorship, I mean, and this was when parents thought Kiss was knights in Satan's service. And if you played Jesus lizard backwards, they would yeah. say hail Satan or whatever. And it's like, right. what? <laughs> 100%. Exactly. Great song, great conversation. And, uh, you know, and who knew it really was one of the that really that pivotal time period within uh, the eighties about censorship, about parent advisory, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. hundred percent. That's cool. So I'd love for you to uh, share your story with us. Sure. So, you know, uh, like everyone, uh, the pandemic is, uh, is kind of the big background for my story. Uh, so quick background, I've been teaching improv since 2006, as far as like, a teacher in a classroom people sign up for. And I've, I, I wanted to be a teacher pretty early on in my improv uh, journey. And I, when I achieved it, I was psyched because mm. a lot of improvisers, uh, some improvisers at the time that I knew were getting into teaching just because they wanted a paycheck or because they wanted the notoriety. And I just wanted to teach other people improv because I thought that uh, it was kind of always naturally good teaching. And I did it for a long time working for the Second City, working for Comedy Sports Chicago, working for the West Side Comedy Theater, et cetera, all these other places. And right before the pandemic hit, I wasn't doing so well financially. I was doing really, really, really poorly pre-pandemic. 
And I had three kind of angel gigs. I mean, they were well-earned, but they were just kind of like, thank goodness they were on the calendar. And they were in three different cities. Uh, and basically, they would have paid my rent for the next few months as I kind of figured it out. And then the pandemic hit, and I was not going to three other cities. They were gone. And I wow. was like, oh, no, what do I do? You know? Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, right? And uh, Second City was still, they went online, which was cool. So I still had one class with them, but it just wasn't enough to pay the bills. And I'd always kind of wanted to run my own shop in some way, but I didn't know how. And the pandemic really forced me to just like, okay, I, I have to figure out how to make money at home, uh, you know, like when no one's working and I wasn't eligible for unemployment. And I was like, crap, maybe this is the thing that finally puts a nail in the coffin. I can't make it anymore. I got to move home with the pair. You know, something's going to change. And I was teaching online for Second City and, and, and I loved it, but there were 16 people in the class. It was three and a half hour long class. They weren't changing how much they were charging that, you know, like there was just a lot of things that I was looking at going, well, I really, I would, I would do this differently if I were right. in charge. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of dawned on me after like the second day of teaching online with second city, I was like, I'm, they have the same classroom space now that I have like for, right. you know, 15 bucks a month or whatever, zoom, like I can do. And it was so scary. It wow. still kind of is now, but yeah. it was, I, I, just you're gonna laugh at this. I uh, uh, my first class, I I didn't know what I was doing. I was so scared to be in charge and like charge for things. My first class was four dollars a person. Wow, <laughs> wow, yeah. oh, that is a steal, like legit steal. Yeah. <laughs> because I just didn't know. I just didn't know like what I was worth of this and the other. And then uh, I had a, a student who's still my student now. She's been with me since the pandemic started and all these online classes started, and she. She very kindly emailed me. It was just a one-time workshop. And she emailed me and she goes, it was a great workshop. I would pay more than $4 for it. Yeah. And yeah. so I was like, okay. So I I, started, I kind of, before I put any other workshops up or anything, I, I rethought it and I go, okay, I'm rethinking the whole model for mm -hmm. myself. If I'm going to be in charge, if I'm going to do all the work that someone does for being in charge, which again is scary as hell, but I'm going to do it. I At least I want to do it my way. So Typically, improv classes would either be one-time workshops or they would be like a multi-day class that would be part of a level that would right. lead you eventually to, you know, some kind of show or graduation or something like that. And I thought, you know, what I would really like as an improviser is just kind of a place to go work out, just like a mm -hmm. dojo to go practice. Yes. Uh, you know, where there's no, there's no levels, there's no uh, pressure of anything like that. And so I, I came with this idea of practice groups doing a four week kind of round of, of, of classes. And if you want to stay in and it, it, anyway, I don't want to get boring with the minutia, but the point no. was I, I created my own model that I'd never seen before. And I've, I've still never seen it. Other, other people do it yet. Uh, that again, just kind of like when people are asking, so is it a class? And I'm like, kinda, is it a workshop? Sorta. Like, you know, it's like, right. I'm not only in charge, but I'm trying to sell people something that, that they haven't really seen before. Absolutely. And, so after, so I got one class going weekly and I was like, well, let's just see what happens. So I eventually put up more and then another and then over time and by August, so that started in April was my first time putting up my class. By August, I was doing seven classes a week. Wow. Yeah. And I was paying my bills, teaching improv, being in charge 
of my of everything finances marketing student relation you know like right. answering all the questions i'm the i'm it i'm the only right. thing and uh it's insane i've been doing it for a year and a half now yes. and i love it and yes. because of it i get to work with students like you who don't live anywhere near me in los angeles and so not only did i not have to like leave la and move home with the parents and rethink my whole life and start a new career and all that stuff i i i took the thing I was already doing improv and then infused some other skills that I didn't know how to do and learned them on the fly. And now I'm running my own school for lack of a better word. And yeah. uh, I love it and the students love it. And I'm it, I don't think it would have happened if it wasn't for the pandemic. Yes. So I really think it's amazing just how in the moment during the pandemic, how, and it was challenging for so many people, but especially the performers. And I'm thinking about just how strong you were to be feeling everything that you are and the intensity of that. And then yet being able then to really take a look at, wait, where can I be of service right now? And a lot of artists out there, you know, a lot of people who were taking improv classes you know, they didn't have their jobs either. So they couldn't therefore aff afford a lot of the classes. So you really not only provided a space for those, and also I popped into your class for extra practice as well, because I just loved going to your class, even though I was in the Second City program. Mm -hmm. I also found it just such a supportive environment and a place to just, like you said, do the reps, you know, just have that place where it's, I, I find myself for myself personally, just more creative in that space because there is, you kind of take a lot of the pressure off and you're able to dare to fail. Like you were talking about, like you've talked about in your, your classes. And, um, but anyway, but going back to really looking at how you in that time period were able to then develop your own school. Yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm so grateful. And what I discovered quickly on was that helping people level up their improv skills is awesome. But just like what you already so well said is that I don't sell my classes on you're going to get better at improv because you will get better at improv. It'll help your creativity. And I even, I've even had students who've told me who've never taken improv who took my online classes like as their first entry point. And, uh, you know, I've had people say I've had better conversations with my spouse and I've, I've felt, you know, had more fun at work and all these other things. And all that's awesome. But what it really is about is about that support, that community that for two hours every week, if you're in my group, you know, it's going to be judge free, judgment free. It's going to be a laughing. We're going to laugh like idiots. You know, uh, it's going to be you can't mess up because there's no one's watching. You know, it's just a practice group. So like it's like that, uh, you know, thing in the Matrix where like he can fall and not die you know, or whatever. It's like, yeah, there's 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 no stakes here. Yeah. So for two hours, it's just going to be this, it's a concentrated dose of fun. Yes. And a lot of people, regardless of the pandemic or anything else like that, you know, we all need that. And Absolutely. I love that that's what it's become. And it is. And it, it, it's such a fun environment. And, and I love that now you, you know, saw this area where you could be of service to others and then also pay your bills and really <laughs> pivot during this challenging time and then in the process of serving others or in, and providing this safe space you then began to heal it sounds like as well Whew. yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had to learn how, you know, I had to learn a lot more about leadership than I ever knew because leading a class is awesome, but then being in charge of the class, a whole different thing. And uh, the imposter syndrome, you know, it's always there whenever we're doing any interesting work, but my goodness, like, you know, who are you to be in charge? Who are you to sell? Who are you to charge for your time? You know, all just, and it still hits me like even a year and a half in, but man, in the beginning, it was just like, and then plus the loneliness and the isolation. And I also had a roommate at the time who was stealing from, I mean, there was just like, like, you know, and I had it a million times better than so many other people went through the pandemic. Of course, you know, some people became uh, lost their homes and their jobs. I mean, all kinds of things happened. Yeah. So uh, it's not a woe is me kind of tale, but I mean, no. I just, I'm very grateful that I, that everything was able to happen despite all the the heaviness and the weirdness. Yes. That was going on and that you rose above it. And with your lead, leaning into your leadership, we're able then to, you know, to start this group and, um, and it's, and it's flourishing. I mean, you, there, we've got quite a few people in my class. And then you have six other classes that you're running, which is fantastic. Yeah. And uh, my, the biggest point of pride for me is that I tell people who like, I think I told you, like anyone who wants to come to my classes, I go, they're all good people. I only take good students. I've never had to so far in a year and a half, knock on wood, never had to actually say, Hey, you don't fit this class or anything like that. Uh, because I haven't had any toxic people try and get in, uh, right. which is awesome. Uh, but, you know, so that's great. a big selling point. I'm like, you don't know these people in the class, probably, but they're great. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it, and I feel like you lay the groundwork somehow within. I remember that from back when you were, you know, when I took your class at Second City, you really you did a great job of holding the space. Even though we were in Zoom, guys, three and a half hours. Can you imagine? I mean, listen, <laughs> three and a half hours in a class together on Zoom, no less. <laughs> And the fact that you you held that space for that amount of time doing improv and and it is very different than than live, although we had had to lean into improv in a different way, using more you know facial <laughs> waist up physicality yep 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 chair prov absolutely <laughs> yes, and I don't know if you're uh remember in the very first of the pandemic, you know we didn't no one knew what we were doing, so second city didn't start out with zoom, they started out with Google Hangouts which didn't have, you know, Zoom didn't have many features at that point, but Google really was not. very weird, very different. I mean, just trying to think about that class, you know, a year and a half later of like, oh man, we really didn't know what we were doing. Yes. Leslie was my teacher during Google Hangout. And I think like within one week, they had changed it over to Zoom, you know? Yeah. We were like, this ain't working, guys. No. You got to try a new uh, platform. And, <laughs> yes. So, so good. And so we're, you know, and speaking of, strengths. We talked about leadership, which um, I'm not sure where it is in your via strength. So just to give you a quick um, audience, just a quick little spiel on the via strengths assessment. It's an assessment that you could, that you take that is completely free online. It's rooted in positive psychology. And what you find are everyone has 24 character strengths and it's who you are to your core. So when you take these, you'll get a um, printout of your top strengths. And Rich, you've got some amazing top strengths. I know what, what they are, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for everyone. But I'd love to know, you know, where, if you remember, and if you don't, it's no big deal. But if you remember where leadership was in your strengths. Uh, yeah, I think it was uh, some, somewhere in, in the, like the bottom of the top 10, like eight or nine or something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 
So for me, leadership, you know, I always used to think leadership meant uh, management, you know, which uh, that is like one of a zillion aspects of leadership. And I, when I got, are you familiar with Seth Godin? Do you read him at all? I, yes, I know. I know of his work, but I don't know it uh, extensively. I didn't know about him at all. And, and I actually got introduced to him uh, right when the pandemic started. He writes a lot. And what he said about leadership is leadership is just creating something, doing something that has risk, right? So if you say like, I'm going to start a book club. I don't know if anyone wants to be in that book club. I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know if it's going to be fun. But I'm going to start it, right? That's what a lead leadership does. And you know, when I, when I kind of got more into that, I realized, okay, being a leader is less about like control and more about like, follow me kind of thing. Yes. And uh, that was really scary for me because, you know, like you and I were talking about before we hit the record button is that growing up, I had the very much mentality of being, you know, the environment of be humble, don't brag, don't make mm. noise, don't rock the boat, all that kind of stuff. And yes. leadership is kind of the opposite of that. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I, 100%. And uh, so interesting. So that leadership, you leaned into leadership during that time. And that was one of your, at the bottom of your top 10. And what's interesting with the VIA strengths is the more that we use them, you know, you may find your top 10 are generally your top 10 but they do swap spaces from time yeah. to time. So if you were to take the VIA strengths assessment prior and then take it after you started your school, you may find that they it may have moved up a little bit because you exercise that strength a little bit more. Tell us your top strengths and then also how you use them you know, during this tough time, during the pandemic and then going into uh, starting your program. So my top three uh, were curiosity, creativity, and perspective. I think perspective, it was. yes. Yeah, and I, I I love that because you know just like you said they they can switch over time. I really look at the last because I'm I'm 40 years old and I I look at 40 years of life and I I think I'm very different in many ways. But the one through line there's two there's two real through lines that have been the same since I was three years old until now, which is like I got a big heart, especially for animals, you know, like a lot of us empaths tend to do. That's never changed. And then curiosity, that's never changed either. I've always been curious. And as I get older, I just get curious about different things or more in depth about things. But uh, curiosity really is kind of the big leader for me for everything. I'm curious about something. So I read about it. I'm curious about it. So I talk to people and then I can develop these skills like leadership, like, you know, marketing things that used to be so foreign to me. And I'm like, lead with curiosity. Let's just ask, what would it look like if we tried it kind of thing? Yes. Yes. And you find a lot of subjects fascinating. So that is kind of like if I've got curiosity in my top strengths as well, and you yeah. really can go down a rabbit hole of curiosity. <laughs> where, uh, you know, where I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I'm like, I'm gonna go do some research on this. It's like, just twisted sister. I mean, the next thing you know, I'm looking at US Congress and watching videos of D. Snyder, you know, and I'm like, so curious, like, I want to know more about this. And absolutely. Yeah. So, so but yes, it, it's connected to life satisfaction and happiness. And uh, 100%. And then connected uh, with intelligence. Nice. Yeah. And then also longevity and good relationships. Excellent. So are, and I feel like that anti-aging and we're, you know, we're a lot, uh, someone I had on, a guest I had on Donuts and Pie Fitness, they call it aging enthusiastically. 
And I feel that like, you know, with that, it's really about uh, curiosity is something that we have our whole lives to continue to learn and grow and not be stagnant. And I think that for anyone, whether they're going through a tough time and need a little boost, curiosity, leaning into that is really important. And then also as we age, just always being curious about what else, right? Yeah. Well, and I, there's a, a great quote by uh, Catherine Hoke, and uh, she says, you can't be curious and angry at the same time. And I never even thought about curiosity and anger even being anywhere near each other, but like, it's kind of like a solvent. And what I've noticed is it's not just anger, it's depression. So mm-hmm. like, if I'm feeling really sad, like just being curious and go, hmm, I wonder what I'm, you know, what's causing it. Just like that kind of thing. Just all of a sudden framing it as a question, like I'm an investigative reporter out for like, let's find some answers. All of a sudden the depression or the anger, whatever the heck it is that I was feeling, being curious about it almost separates me from it a little bit, which is really cool. Yes. And then shifting and, and, and the neuroplasty in the brain. It's amazing how that you can, I know it happens, but you can almost feel it happen like a cascade. 100%. Yeah, that's really great. Uh, perspective is another one uh, that you have in your top strengths. And um, that's being able to provide wise counsel to others nice. and having ways of looking at the world. Um, and yeah, so for, with that one, with perspective, life engagement popped up uh, on this one as well. And then also uh, linked to successful aging, well-being, and older adults. So- nice. You know, once again, perspective, how you shift in your perspective on things is another, you know, I I wasn't expecting to talk about anti-aging today, but there you go. (laughs) We've got... Well, and it's, I mean, I don't want to get too hippy-dippy, but I'm in LA, so I think I have to. It's just this idea of like, you can tell people who stress a lot versus don't and, and like look at ages. I mean, there's, stress does so much to us, right? And, uh you know, products and everything that's cool. But like the best anti-aging for me is meditation, gratitude, you know, helping others, kindness, like that will keep you young, at least where it matters. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Well, well said. The other thing I was going to say about perspective um, is that it also is shown to buffer against negative effects of stress and trauma. Which is, hello, what you just said. Helpful. <laughs> We're all traumatized. Yeah. Like yeah. a million times over. We yes. all need that. Yeah, absolutely. And so these, um, you know, the, the, to, when we dive in deep to these specific character strengths, this comes from Dr. Nemec's book. I always like to give credit where credit's due. So um, I didn't just come up with this. It is the character strengths interventions with uh, Dr. Nemec. So thank you for sharing those strengths with us and your story. Oh, thank you. But you know, something really important, um, this is called Learned It From An 80s Song. So what we need to know is why the song and uh, a little bit uh, more about how it resonates with your story today. Hot dog. Uh, So uh, I'm 40, which means that when this song came out, I was three. A baby. But (laughs) my brother is 14 years older than me. And I worshipped him. So I was a little three-year-old listening to Def Leppard and Whitesnake and all these bands because my brother had this big, you know, I had a wall-mounted tape thing with all the, you know, the cassette tapes facing out and all that. Yes. And yeah, and I, I just, I mean, 
anything my brother was into, I thought was the best thing in the world. So yeah. he would go to school, like high school, and I would be home because I was a child and I would just take a tape and put it in and listen to it. And then I would literally for hours just listen to his music. So I'm, you know, I'm listening to music. It was way ahead of my time by like a good 10 years. Uh, and, but I mean, I was, I was into it. I loved it. And this tape particular was one of my favorites. And so on my, I want to say it was my fourth birthday. <laughs> I was oh, four years old. My gosh. He, he got, he bought me my own copy of stay hungry. Oh. And my mom had gotten me a, a Walkman, you know, it was the eighties. So I had this cassette and a Walkman and I would just listen to it on repeat over and over and over, just walking around the house, walking around the backyard, just, you know, as this four year old kid, you know, memorizing these ridiculously adult lyrics and different things. Yes. When, when Tipper Gore's trying to tell kids not to listen to it, there's this four year old rocking around, just like brainwashing <laughs> himself with it. So this song means a lot to me. This album means a lot to me just, just in particular. And Every once in a while, like, I'd say, like, a few times a year, I will just listen to the whole album, just do nothing else. You know, how often as adults do we just listen to music and, and not do anything else? I, I don't hardly ever. Right. But I'll listen to this. And I was listening, you know, when the pandemic hit, I'm, I'm depressed as hell. I'm anxious. I don't know what's going on, like everyone. And I remember just doing, I go, something hit me. I was like, I'm going to listen to this whole album. And I did. And the whole album, I think, influenced me a lot. But this song particularly was like, we're not going to take it. You know, it's about the song's really about like the establishment. It's really funny. It's about the people like Tim Gore and what they were doing, ironically. But for me, I said, we're not going to take it. Like, I'm not going to take the depression. I'm not going to take the anxiety. I'm not going to take all the things that my brain is telling me because it's not trying to be my enemy. It's trying to help me survive. But I'm not yeah. going to I'm not going to take it like that anymore. No. And this song just really makes me want to stand up straight, puff out my chest, and just go, we're not gonna take it. Just like, get angry, you know? And uh, it really gave me, um, like, a sense of strength and, and effervescence to go, okay, I'm gonna do this. I don't care. I'm scared as hell, but I'm not gonna take it anymore, so let's do this. Love it. Yeah, do you so have a favorite of the hair bands? Is there a hair band that's like, oh, this one sticks out? I liked Poison a lot. I sure. like Poison, you know. They're great. <laughs> Brett Michaels, great. you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> Did you know, I read this, so when I listened to um, Sebastian Bach's autobiography a few years ago, that he was mm. the lead singer for um, uh, Skid Row, uh, oh. he talks about how, like, he was friends with, like, Axl Rose and all these other guys, you know, but they said that they collectively, as a group, would make fun of Brett Michaels because, like, Poison to them was, like, down a notch or something. And I'm just, like, listening to this, like, you're all millionaire rock stars and you're making fun of another millionaire rock yes. star. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. The 80s. We had to have some nerd and bullies, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. People think that, that people get successful overnight. And it <laughs> yeah. is definitely so much behind the work. And with you, I mean, and love you to speak to that because as an author, having your show that you've got behind you, uh, amazing. You guys, if you're on YouTube, you'll see it. But if you're on the podcast, check it out. It's, it's pretty <laughs> awesome. But I would love to, you know, for you to, you know, share a little bit about that as well and, and honing your craft because you've been doing this for 20 plus years. I got introduced in improv when I was uh, 17 and it was kind of one of those what is this? I have to know, every, you know, that curiosity. I have to know everything about it. I want to, I want to not just get to where I understand it. I want to get good at it. Um, so that was 1999. So technically I've been doing improv for two decades, uh, to uh, a millennium, but uh, yeah. uh, 
Uh, so for those that can, are watching, since you mentioned it, I will shamelessly plug this is my book. It's called, for those of you listening, Improv Made Easier. Um, I, I'd been, I'd come up with a thing called the, what I call the guideposts of good scene work, uh, probably in 2007, which were just these, you know, that, that we're not, I'm not breaking the mold here. It's a lot of things that most improvisers would have already put out there in the zeitgeist. But these are things that I just, uh, that I was like, okay, I'm going to teach these to people who are learning scene work for the first time of like, these are pitfalls to avoid, you know, traps that you can do and still make good improv scene, but that aren't going to, um, that are probably, they're going to usually lead you down a path that, that's not going to be helpful to the scene. Yeah. And I honed them over years. So I was teaching them in class after class after class, workshop after workshop, and I would change a little and adjust a little. And there was, for about five or six years, seven years, something like that, I really, they went largely unchanged. And not because I wasn't actively trying to see if there was a better way to do it, but just because it seemed to work. And yeah. after doing it for so long and repeating the same talking points over and over, I'm like, there's so many students that I'll never get to teach that will never be in a classroom. They'll never meet. Uh, and I said, you know, I get asked on a regular basis, you know, what's a good book on improv? And I go, well, I'm just going to write it. You know, there's plenty yeah. of good books on improv, but I'm going to write yes. one for me. And so when it came out, it was on the heels. I, it came out in uh, 2019, November 2019. So that was 20 plus years of work that, of you know, that this book wouldn't have existed without all 20 of those years. So like, you know, when the book came out, it was, you know, some people were like, oh, this, uh, you know, this guy's new to improv, he's a new teacher, I've never heard of him. I'm like, you've never heard of me, but I've yeah. been here for years. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's so great. And that must have taken quite some time. I mean, you, you like you had said, it's it, you took all of those skills that you've learned along the way package them in the book so that you can inspire those that can't, don't have the opportunity to take class directly with you, they're able to get that information. Yeah. And for some people who you take class with me, they like the book because, you know, it's something that they can kind of go to on their own or reread or like, and I made the book in sections to where if you're like, I just want to work on this one thing, you don't have to read the whole book in order. Like you can just go to that chapter yeah. and, you know, they're pretty short and you just kind of, oh yeah, this is that technique to about this, this, that, and the other. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, it's still, people still buy copies sometimes and I'm, I'm honored that it's, you know, it, it's, it's, is it it's on Amazon? People. It's, it's on, Amazon. on Amazon. Absolutely. There's a Kindle Great. and a paperback version. Super. Great guys. Yeah. Marching orders. You want to know more about the tricks of the trade, you know where to go. Yeah. And then tell me, are you doing some shows right now as well? Uh, not, at, not currently at the moment. Uh, uh, so Roland and Riches, so if you're, if you're not uh, seeing this visually, uh, about my background is uh, my two-person team, Roland and Riches, uh, my partner, Roland Lopez, we formed uh, our duo in 2014, uh, and we've done a bunch of shows. We've done we've headline festivals, uh, we've played all over the country. It's, it's been really great working with Roland, and we have no plans on stopping. But right now, we're just, I think we want to be on a physical stage so bad, and we're just not ready for that, like... yeah. Not a lot of places are doing improv in person, but even the ones that are, I'm just still, I'm like, I'm not, maybe another month, maybe another yeah. two, I don't know, but I'm not there yet. Not there yet. Uh, and we did some online stuff in 2020. We did a, a few different online things, and yeah. I, I think we're going to have some online stuff come up maybe in the future. But right now, right. you know, he's got a day job to where he's on the computer all the time doing boring stuff. And so I totally get the idea of being on the computer, even to do fun stuff, is not necessarily fun for yeah. everyone. And yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. It's like, that's just such a great perspective you also bring in about, you know, the pandemic and, and a lot of your story today was about, you know, um, your emotions through the pandemic and then how you really overcame that, the big obstacle 
from a financial standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, and then built a huge business <laughs> from that. Can we talk about uh, 80s trends? Oh, yeah, we can. Yeah. So I know you were just a mere baby in the 80s, but <laughs> Still loved it. you loved were wearing Garanimals. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Even though I wasn't a teenager to get participate in a lot of the, the things, uh, 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 I, I tell you what, I it's still around, but I miss the denim. In the yeah. '80s, denim was everywhere. Everyone had a denim jacket, stonewashed jeans. You know, yeah. sometimes denim hats. And I like. I yes. think denim is really cool. It just is, and there's just so many different shades: the acid wash and the yeah. acid wash with color. I mean, there were just it, it just was endless. So many mm -hmm. different styles, and uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. The denim was uh, off the charts. Um, now. <laughs> Any, um, any other, you know, did you watch any TV in the Tons, 80s? yeah. Okay. And, and like the music, I was watching TV that was probably older than, you know, a little kid, most little kids were watching. Because <laughs> I remember watching, uh, you know, like, I was NYPD Blue in the 80s, whatever the cop shows, like, I was, yeah. you know, my Chips. parents would watch Chips. Yeah, I would just sit there and watch it as a kid. Like, I don't get it, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but as far as, like, shows, I think, I think, Maybe I would, I'd be best sitcom of all time, I, I'd say, or at least contingent of is Cheers. Oh, I think, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and I rewatched the pilot about a year ago in, in the first season, and I was just like, man, this show is classic. It is it still good. Is It just is. It's timeless. It's timeless. Yeah. You know? And we didn't know at the time how much talent. I mean, you know, Ted Danson was killing it, and then he'd go on to kill it so many other times. Of course, Woody Harrelson become one of the best I film mean, actors we'd ever know. Right. You know, yes. John Ratzenberger and Kelsey Grammer. And I mean, all these different actors and they, B.B. Uh, Newworth, like, like just all the, and they're just destroying it in this one sitcom before they all, you know, blew up. And uh, I love it. I love that show. Yeah. So good. Such great, great quality show. The last thing I want to mention before we tell our audience how we can get a hold of you is do we have an action item or, you know, some marching orders uh, for our audience other than purchasing your book? <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. The way to happiness is buy my book. No, <laughs> no, thank you. Not, not, not there, yeah, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so many things. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll speak to if someone's trying to accomplish something that they think is punching out of their weight class, like starting a business, writing a book, you know, anything like that. I needed a, a zillion different tools to help me write this book or do a lot of the things that I did. But the thing that, that helped me that I didn't really know before was something I call the smallest possible thing, which um, partly comes from uh, getting things done. Uh, I can't remember that, that author offhand. And part of it comes from Greg McKeown's essentialism. And it's just this idea of, okay, I, I'm going to create a brand new improv workshop. I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what it's going to, I don't know anything, but I'm going to create it. So what's the smallest possible thing I can do? And for me, if I get on my computer and, or my Google drive and I create a folder and label it workshop to be named later and a, uh, an even just an empty word document that I can, a palette that next time I can come back to and go, okay, at least this is there. Yes. Just creating that very small thing is mentally really helps me go, okay, I've moved the ball forward. Maybe it's super small amount forward, but I've moved it forward a little bit and therefore I'm on the journey. Yes. And next time I come, I can build on progress rather than have to start. 
Love it. Yeah. Because start, you know, once people, I feel like for myself, well, I'll just speak mm-hmm. for myself. Once I get started and the ball gets rolling, it's just starting. It's really about starting. And, yeah. um, and I think that's, I love that. And then also like you mentioned in class all the time, daring to fail when we yeah. can take that. I know that's about improv and, you know, getting out there and putting yourself outside your comfort zone. That being said, we can take that into life as well. I mean, you know, allowing yourself to try things that you would not have tried before and having the courage to do that and, um, and taking that step forward, like you, um, so wonderfully said. In an interview, uh, with, I want to say Voyage Magazine, I can't remember, um, one of my students who's still currently student was my student in person in Second City for a while, been my student since the pandemic. She started her own photography business. Hmm. And in the interview, at one point, she mentions me and she goes, my improv teacher, Rich Baker, says dare to fail. And that's what I did to start. And I was just, I cried. I was like, you know, this thing that I originally started saying dare to fail up towards improvisers, you know, really did. I started to use it in other parts of my life. Other people started using parts of their life. And I was like, we should all be failing all the time. Like, yes. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. We grew up in this, you know, like bubble in your scantron. And if you do it wrong, you fail and you're wrong and this is bad. And it's like, that's the opposite lesson. We all like the only way to solve interesting problems is to fail. Yes. Absolutely. The only way I've ever learned anything is through failing. I mean, right? when I'm hugely successful at something, I feel that I don't, I, it's wonderful. Of course, everybody wants to have that, that success. However, those moments where things became the most clear, where I've had the most amount of growth, yeah. I've been through failure because I pushed uh, myself to a place where I did fail, right? Yeah. Where I could fail. Yeah. If you're not risking failure, I mean, this podcast, this is like, this is a big home run. Like you're in your second season. This podcast is amazing. You're still doing it despite a move to a whole nother part of the world. Like you are risking failure all the time. And it, I mean, it's inspiring. Well, well, that's nice. I, I do feel like I'm risking failure all the time. (laughs) Which is the only way to be a creative, meaningful artist. You just do it. You just go in, you jump to close. Please tell us, um, how we can get a hold of you. And if anyone is interested in taking improv classes, I highly recommend uh, you take Rich's classes. I promise you, you will feel comfortable and it, it'll be a very safe space. So oh, thank you so much for that. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, to, to see kind of uh, the, the one catch all you can easily find me at if you're just curious to deep dive on me is linktree.com slash Rich Baker. Uh, I love Linktree because I've, all my stuff is there and I update it pretty regularly. But, you know, you can follow me on social media. I have a, per, a personal accounts that I also have. My Rich Baker coaching is kind of the moniker because I'm very creative uh, of, of my classes. Like, what should I call my coaching? How about Rich Baker coaching? Got it. Okay, great. Yes. Uh, so, uh, but if you want to take one of my, my classes, here's, here's what I want to say. Is, so they're improv groups. They're practice groups. They, they, there are no stakes. So if, you, if you're totally terrible we will celebrate the hell out of that, right? I've had seven students in the last year and a half who their entry point into improv was my online ongoing classes, even though everyone else in the class had more experience. And the reason why it worked, I saw, I'd never tried this before because I'd only, you know, if you were new at improv, you were in a level one class with other people who were new to improv and that was the standard model. But this is, I'm new to improv and I'm surrounded by people whose job it is to make me look good so the learning curve is faster. Uh, so uh, I would just say, whatever your improv level experience is, if you want to take class with me, you can go to richbakercoaching.com. 
or you can find any of that stuff on Linktree. And uh, your first class is on me, so check it out. I don't want you to pay money for something you don't know, so check it out. See if you like it. And it's totally cool if you don't. I don't, like, you take the class and you go, hey, man, that was fun. Not for me. Great. Thanks for coming. No big deal. But please, I love just getting new people in my classes, trying new stuff. So I'd love, I'd love to see you there. Yes. And I, and I think there's a, uh, one, maybe one space open on Mondays. So, um, and that's at 11 o'clock Pacific time in Switzerland, it is 8 PM. So if you want to, uh, take a class, I'll be in the Monday class. So, uh, yeah. come join us. Super fun. Well, th- I just can't uh, say thank you enough for kicking well, off season you, two Patricia. of Learned It from an 80s Song. I'm uh, honored. Yes. And I really am grateful uh, for, for you and for your classes and for you being here and your vulnerability. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80s song inspiration, we want to hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you, and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.